Welcome to Pull Up with Miles and Owen, episode 17. I am Owen Pence. I'll be joined by my co-host, Miles Ehrlich, in just a moment. And today, we have a very special and a very meaningful show for you guys. We are thrilled to welcome Jordan Robinson. Jordan is a prolific freelance writer, host, and podcaster covering women's basketball, pop culture, and their intersections. And Miles and I had the pleasure of interviewing Jordan just over a year ago. Uh, we were guest hosts of the Windsider show. It was before we had started the Pull Up podcast. And Jordan was so amazing. And the conversation was so inspiring to us that Miles, after we recorded, we we got on the phone and we were so motivated. We're like, I think we need to, to start our own show. This was terrific. Meanwhile, as, as we're over here starting you know, our little podcast, Jordan is getting ready to launch her own weekly WNBA podcast with, you know, just just Cheryl Swoops, just just casual, casual co-host vibes. The show is called Queens of the Court. It's truly exceptional. Uh, Jordan is also a host for the Pac-12 Network. She co-hosts Game On on the Women's Sports Network. She's been published everywhere. Enough of me talking. Jordan, thank you so much for pulling up with us. How's it going? It's going great. Thank you for that intro. Um, I have too many jobs, but yes, I can't <laughs> believe that was a year ago when we did that podcast. Wow. I, I, spe I specifically remember it was the night Francis Tiafo and Carlos Alcaraz were playing in the U.S. Open. The WNBA finals were about to start. It, it, it was uh, it <laughs> what was a time. <laughs> what a time, right? Oh, man. Amazing. Well, we wanted to start uh, with this amazing podcast because it really is truly exceptional and and just so fun to to listen to it and also just so cool having been fans of your work for so many years to just see you hosting a podcast with Cheryl Swoops, an absolute legend. So I want to start there. Do you have any fun stories about recording with Cheryl and just what's it been like building that relationship? Oh my gosh, it is it doesn't even feel like work honestly I have to pinch myself every single time her name comes up on my phone that she I'm just like I'm casually texting or talking on the phone with freaking Cheryl Swoops what is my life so that has not um gotten better it still feels that way I'm still very much starstruck but I think my favorite part is like you know, it's not just talking about the game with anybody. It's someone who has played, who has won, who has been an MVP of this league that we're talking about and that we're covering. So the firsthand experience is always my favorite part uh, of anything. I always try to, you know, toss it to her from like, okay, when you were a player or what was the locker room like when it was about to be the finals? Like she can really talk to those experiences, which I feel like you know, sets our podcast apart. And that's just been so much fun. But I think my favorite memory is, um, you know, we were talking about all-star and, and all-star voting. And I was just trying to, you know, break it down of like between a starter and a reserve, you know, what's that difference? And, and she was like, I, I can't relate. I've only been an <laughs> all-star starter. And I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. I'm talking to a legend here. Like this is not just an average person. So I feel like every week I get quickly reminded that she is one of the best to ever do it. And um, she also really knows her basketball. So it's been so fun. That was such a good moment because it's like 90 
98% of the time, she's just breaking it down and you, you, she's not talking like she's one of the greatest basketball players in the history of the world. And then just that other 2%, she's like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> remind you guys. Yeah. I also love, you guys are just popping up on league pass, like during these commercials, it's, it's beautiful to see. So truly congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. It's also just awesome to see so many W alumni remaining involved in the sport, still mm-hmm. locked in, still helping to grow it. Three out of the four coaches left in the playoffs. We're going to talk about the playoffs in a little bit. Becky Hammond, Sandy Brondello, Stephanie White are former WNBA players. Mm-hmm. Annie Costable reported the other day that uh, Teresa Weatherspoon's in potential contract negotiations with the Sky, which is really exciting. Yes, yeah, that's. Oh, I hope that happens. I yeah, hope me so. too. Me too. We've been we've been in group chats talking that up for like a week already, and now seeing that <laughs> already picking up steam is awesome. But we're really not that far removed. Back in 2019, a majority of the coaches in the WNBA were men. At the time, I think it was just Sandy Brondello. And who was there was there was only one other coach. It was Katie Smith with the Liberty. Those mm. are the only two former players that were coaches. So in four years to turn over to a majority of the league being not just women, but but former coaches. How have you seen that growth? And then when you're talking about your experiences with Cheryl, also on the media side, how has that growth with the WNBA sisterhood kind of come mm. to pass? Well, we talk about that all the time. And I think that is really a spot where Cheryl is so passionate about because she felt like even before we started the podcast, when we just talked, she felt forgotten by the league. Honestly, she felt like former players were really pushed under the rug and it was very focused on the now, like who is popular right now. And you can't talk about really anything but specifically the WNBA without thinking of the former players and the former dynasties and the former coaches and teams that have really built this league to what it is. So we would talk about that and Cheryl would say like, I I want my, I feel like my opinion matters. I feel like all the people that have been MVPs and defensive player of the year and champions, their opinions matter. So now to be able to have it switch over to a lot of former players be in the coaching spot I think one it's way more beneficial for the players because you having having a coach that was in the shoes that you were on multiple levels of just trying to grow this league of trying to have a notoriety of being a women's basketball player like there's so many levels to it that just having not only a woman as a coach but someone who knows exactly what you're dealing with I had never had a woman coach and I think when I think back in my college experience, even in high school, like that would have shamed, shaped me in a different way of just having that somebody that can relate to you in that way. So I feel like I'm so happy that it, it is what it is now, but I'm more happy for the players that they get to have somebody to bounce ideas off of and share that. You hear all the time with Becky Hammond and Chelsea Gray, like she was a point guard. I'm a point guard. We just speak the same language. I trust Chelsea Gray because I was in her shoes that goes so far on any sport, but specifically in this league. And I think that so much of the conversation when they talk about like the early days of the W, it's not like we're talking about like Bob Cousy in the NBA, right? This is the no. late 90s. <laughs> this is <laughs> not that long ago. <laughs> it's really not. So for these for these players, for these legends to have felt forgotten by the league is mm-hmm. just really, really sad. And but to this this last like kind of four to five years. It really feels like since 2020 might've been that, that pivot point 
Um, and also I've gotten to see Cheryl work close up. I've gone to AU both of the first two years. Mm-hmm, so see mm-hmm. her do some of her work there, which has been really cool. But the way that just that that pipeline is now kind of growing and it's it's expanding in every direction. And I think that that's just awesome for the growth of the sport because there are still fans that, you know, went to all these arenas in the late 90s that have been season ticket holders for 27 years now. So for them to to be able to see that, you don't retire and then disappear into obscurity, but mm-hmm. instead can can be, you know, motivational and just kind of grow generationally, I think is really important. Yeah. And I feel like you see it in the NBA so much like people you can't get rid of Dwayne Wade like he's everywhere. <laughs> So it's like, why is that not the same thing for the W? I want to still hear from the legends that have experienced this. And I think the NBA does a great job of getting former players in front of microphones, on panels, and the W needs to start adapting that. And I feel like this season, and like you mentioned, these past couple seasons, they have done that. And I feel like the response has been out of this world. Like even just from Queens of the Court, when we were at All-Star Weekend, People just coming up to Cheryl. She told me a story. She was like, you know, I I was just expecting someone to come up for an autograph and to say, you know, something about the Houston comments. But they brought they brought up the podcast. They were like, we love listening to you on the podcast. And I think it's because people want to hear what she has to say. And a lot of former players, when Teaspoon and Cheryl were on WNBA Countdown, feel like people their eyes just lit up because it's legends talking about today's game, what they see, and they really know who. So yeah, it's been fun to see. Shout out to, I think it was our seventh episode, uh, the Allison Clayman directed uh, feature, Unfinished Business, uh, about the Liberty. And hearing Teaspoon talk in that, you know, just speaks to what you're saying. It's like, man, I could listen to her talk for hours. And the same yeah. is, is, is true of Cheryl. Uh, this serves as a perfect transition when talking about the older generation of WNBA legends and this current generation of legends, there was a stat that was shown on the broadcast yesterday during the Vegas uh, Chicago game, maybe more of an anecdote. Vegas, uh, Dallas. <laughs> You're stuck in the last series. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh yeah. True, true, true. Uh, uh, and, and maybe you saw it, uh, but only three players have been, uh, two-time MVP and defensive player of the year. Of course, Cheryl is is the GOAT. Three MVPs, three defensive players. Lisa Leslie, three MVPs, two defensive players. And Asia Wilson now with, with two of each. Did that surprise you? What what were your thoughts when, when you heard that, if you did see that? Yeah, I, I mean, I brought that up on the podcast we recorded today. I was like, you know, this is rare air that Asia Wilson is in and you Cheryl are in that air. <laughs> like that's how rare it is to to do that and you think about the impact that Cheryl Swoops has had on the defensive end, like that is what you think of first when you think of just how um electric she was as a player. Um and so I felt like what we talked about today was the defensive first team and second team and kind of that discourse. I valued her opinion because again, she is one of the most elite defenders in the game. So if she says that Natasha cloud and Jackie young should have been on that list and they were snubbed out of it, I believe her. Um, She also brought up a point too. It's a little spoiler. If you're going to listen to Queens of the court, but 
she brought up that former players should potentially be a part of voting committee for these things. And I think that is a phenomenal idea of a group of, you know, the Lisa Leslie's, the Cheryl Swoops, the multi MVP group. What do they think? You know, what do when they're looking at a game outside of a media vote, they would have their own specific vote on who they think. I, I think that's not a bad idea because they know what it takes. They know what it takes to be that elite defender, not based off of if I like this person or not, or if, if she was nice to me. It's like, no, is she a dog or not? And that's what we kind of need in this voting. So yeah, that was fascinating. And um, I, I'm not ever surprised when a stat comes up and Cheryl Swoop's name isn't it. <laughs> I really, I really love that idea because there has been, like you said, a lot of discourse. W Twitter these last couple of weeks, the awards, and I mean, we're also we're going to get to talking about just how long this award pro- process is, which is a, another thing that's been kind of chaotic. Mm-hmm. But I love that idea because I think part of the the debate especially coming from players' side, is that the players are saying, Courtney Williams had that tweet that said, we scout players. We know yeah. we know what's happening day in, day out. And then she also tweeted during the other night, okay, I changed my mind. It's not just AT. It might also be Asia. I haven't really seen Asia all that much. And I'm like, well, that's kind of the opposite of what you just said. <laughs> because there is one component of it where it's like, you are scouting, but you are also playing like every other day for four months. Yeah, so how much are you point. watching six games mm-hmm. on the same time? And, and the scheduling is not always forgiving. But I, I think that that's a great I, that's a great angle is that former players are able to wet, recognize what they're seeing on the court, but also engage with with everything um, mm-hmm. because they're not they're not living it day to day. And yeah. yeah, depending on how long it's been since they played, they might still hold some of those biases or what what city they played in um but there's just going to be bias everywhere media is going to have bias players will but yes. yeah the the issue i i had with players was like they also get bonuses off of this and like so that that gets a little bit complicated i think once they're once once they're getting involved in the voting process and we saw all-star right there were some players there there is a split between fans and media and players there mm-hmm. and there was a huge divide there when, when they when they did put out the numbers and the rankings. Yeah. So do you have any really like revolutionary thoughts on what should change? Because I did want to ask specifically, you had a couple of episodes back. You just had a great uh, perspective, I think, on, when you said the playoffs. Yes, the playoffs have started. Yes, we don't know what the awards are yet but they've already been voted for like nothing's going to change regardless. I think you said if Asia gets two points for the rest of the, for the yeah. rest of the playoffs or if Stewie gets four 40 point games, what, what's a, what's a way that we can change this process, but have it still make sense. Yeah. Oh, if I had this answer, I would be so rich right now, <laughs> but I, I think, I think you make a really great point about the players maybe being a little too busy or a little too close to the situation to kind of vote on it. But there has to be some middle ground because the media having all of the power when there are players bonuses or, you know, their, their profile is kind of based on these awards in some weird way. I think the coaches should get back into the the voting realm because I, I don't know if there's a ton of bias there, but I feel like they are. Becky Hammond said, who's watching the most film? We are mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we should we should be a part of this voting because we have to plan 
entire games around Alyssa Thomas if she's guarding our team. You know, if Asia is going to be blocking shots in the key, we have to do a whole separate play, whole separate dynamic to avoid specific type of players. Sandy Brandello said that they wanted the ball out of Sabrina's hands when Natasha Cloud was guarding her. So it's like they really have some they're they're rooted in a lot of these defensive players and their schemes. So I feel like the only add, the only thing I would want to change is maybe putting coaches in there. And I like Cheryl's, you know, former player, just got to mix it up. But I do think the um, same with the NBA as well. The media having full reins of voting when there are money, there's money on the line and, and bonuses for these players just seems kind of weird. Like those team, those things don't seem like they mesh well together at all. Um, so something's got to change. And I do, I want to say too, for um, the defensive player, the first team and second team, this was a step this year by making it positionless, but then it was all post players. So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, do we need to go back to positions to make sure like guards are in there too? So I I command the WNBA for making a change because we were up in arms about, okay, we need to have it positionless we need more people to get in there but now we need to keep it going and make different changes to make sure that it's the best possible voting system it could be that was my follow-up you took it right from me which was about the positions because when you talked about specifically natasha cloud and jackie young i feel like they got they got bumped out that and they might not have in years prior Mm -hmm. um but like this was the league and i give the league tons of credit this is just kind of a, a living organism, right? The, the the voting the voting ballot it changes every year. We're only a couple of years removed from Candace Parker winning Defensive Player of the Year while not being named to All Defensive Team, right? So oh like that's not to say that there's no bias based on based on who's in the voting pool, but yeah, I, I don't love positions in general. So mm-hmm. I thought yes, this is progress. We're finally doing away with them. But when so many of the prestige stats for this award in particular are people looking at rebounding and looking at blocks that is really going to affect things and looking at, I think a little bit too heavily at, at team defensive stats rather than some yeah. of the individual metrics. Um, and, and part of that is just as analytics and basketball has to catch up to some other sports and, and how they've kind of quantified things. I think that would help media as well, but so much of it yeah. comes down to the things that don't show up on the stat sheet. So this might be a place where, yeah, we need a little bit more, a little, a little bit of, of restriction in terms of don't we can't just make it a free for all because mm-hmm. then then of course people are going to gravitate to you know the highlight plays and the and the lofty status numbers that might not actually be indicative of of what a player is doing out there and and if they're guarding three positions and if they're shutting right. down the best player and that kind of thing just because they don't send it into the third row doesn't mean that they're not making an impact yeah I agree. Being a guard, um, you know, you are pressuring full court and you are trying to guard the best player or the best guard on the other person's team. And I think steals and um, deflections and those type of plays should have more of an impact. But I feel like just as basketball fans, we're just rooted in, oh, block shots, oh, rebounds or um being tall and big and and guarding the paint is defensive player of the year and I don't I don't disagree but sometimes there are you know gotta give us some guards some love for sure (laughs) 
we saw it yesterday, or I guess when you guys are listening, it'll be on Sunday, two days ago, where Jackie Young had a possession where she started on Satu, then switched on to Arike, and then switched on to Natasha Howard in the span of 12 seconds. And the <laughs> level of difficulty, we see it, you know, in market in New York with Benajah Laney every single day in practice, yeah. my favorite player on the Liberty, the way she navigates screens and all this stuff that you're not going to see in block shots, uh, numbers, et cetera, which leads me into a segment uh, about Asia Wilson, where we will talk about some of the lofty stats because what she has done in these last two playoff games is truly ludicrous. Uh, I I'm going to recite the stats from her last two games the first one against Chicago and then on Sunday against Dallas. I got the teams mixed up. I'm sorry, Dallas. Asia has, <laughs> has melted my brain. Uh, in game two against Chicago, 38 points in 30 minutes, 15 of 23 from the field, 16 boards, four blocks, three steals. Ridiculous. Game one against Dallas, 34 minutes, 34 points, 15 of 21 from the field, eight boards, four blocks, two steals, Game high plus 26. I mean, I tweeted, uh, I think, uh, during the game, I've run out of things to say about Asia at this point. Do you have any new stuff to say about Asia Wilson's greatness or any ways of describing it? Asia Wilson is that girl. <laughs> and she knows it. I think the thing that stands out to me the most, the the 34 points in 30 minutes is ridiculous, but it's the 71% from the field. What was she, 15 for 25, I believe? It's like, are you kidding? Not only are you scoring at a ridiculously high rate, it is efficient. Every shot that she's taking is within her bag. She's not trying to do anything else. Like, she's really good at what she does, and she has become a pro at that. And still, we get surprised every single time that she steps on the, oh, the floor of like, oh, okay, but you can also do that. But you're also really good at that. Okay, and that. Like, it's it's too much. Um, And I just think what makes it even better is she's such a great human and a great person to talk to and is very humble. You already saw her um, sharing her defensive year trophy with Kia Stokes saying, you know, she is the reason why I'm able to get out of position and block shots because she holds it down behind me. Um, but no, I, I just want the world for Asia because she deserves it. And she's so good. And, and this is her time. Like, I don't think when we think back of this time, five years, seven years from now, this is going to be the Asia Wilson era and it's going to go back and forth between her and Stewie. And this is what we're going to talk about when we talk about WNBA lore. And so this is her time. And she's showing everybody that she can continue to do it. My only concern is that she's putting up a lot of minutes, a lot, a lot of minutes throughout these playoffs and throughout the regular season. Is she going to get tired when it comes to finals? Is she going to kind of burn out? Is she able to keep playing at this high level but again, I know she's going to prove me wrong and still do that. But that's my only question, I guess. It's not if someone's going to stop her. It's if she's going to stop herself and just be too tired to play. But I don't think um, she's slowing down anytime soon. And it seems like she is full on focused of going back to back WNBA champions. 
I think the only thing that can slow Asia down right now is if she keeps diving into the first row yes. of games after they're out of hand. Like, you we, saw we don't Becky's need to do face. that anymore. Yeah, yeah Becky, you saw Becky's face. Uh, Chelsea setting that. her to the bench. Yeah, that was all Don't of our face. My heart skipped a beat. I was, I was. <laughs> oh my goodness! I love hearing you talk about Asia. It, we we don't release the video for these podcasts, but I am wearing my tea with A and Fee hoodie right now, yes. and I was smiling as wide as could be during your answer. <laughs> I I love so much of what you said, specifically just the person that she is, because that that is what you get every single time you talk to Asia Wilson or hear her in an interview or interacting with fans and the hustle, the the heart, you know, it, it, as shown by that play where she's diving into the stands but also your point about her knowing what she does so well and just doing that to the to the best of her ability throughout the game because when Becky came in last season we saw Asia stretch her range to three and now we know she can shoot threes but in these last two games it has all been mid-range restricted area paint she is just dominating the interior she's going up against the wings who have a number of elite big defenders and they are just they can't do anything against her elizabeth williams all defense for for chicago couldn't do anything against her uh and it just speaks to her growth that she has evolved to the point where yeah i can shoot those threes but i don't really need to right now to dominate the game yeah, she's doing what she does and she's doing it well. And um, I, I do think that is a testament to Becky's coaching, putting her in the right spots, making sure that, um, you know, I mean, well, you have Chelsea Gray. She's going to get you the ball at some point or another. But it is Becky making sure that, okay, we're not going to um, put her in situations that she's not going to be able to capitalize and not going to be able to score. So even a couple times on Sunday's game, she was shooting, you know, the short corner jumper. Like I like that a lot. You know, if that mid range free throw line jumper isn't there, where else can you kind of get a shot? She has the touch to shoot from the outside, but she's not settling for that only she's, she's getting to her spot where she wants it to go, kissing it off the glass and is just ridiculously efficient. I just love that. I love efficient basketball please <laughs> my coach used to say a shot taker he used to say are you a shooter or a shot maker and like that's a difference because you can anybody can just shoot but are you gonna make them that's what we want to see <laughs> that's what asia does <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome and is there any way in your eyes i know we've only seen one game in a best of five but talking about the size that that Dallas has, is there a way that you could see them coming back and making this a series, making a push? Because it's it's obviously going to be an uphill battle. For sure. You know, I call them the Dallas wingspan because they are huge. <laughs> they are so long and big at a lot of areas of the floor. But to me, that first game, it just was like, oh, we we've never been here before. Like it was very much like, okay, this is a different level of playoffs that, that we just aren't familiar with. The, the wings are very young. Um, but at the same time in spurts, you saw Dallas get some confidence. They have beat the aces before and not a lot of teams in the postseason could say that. So I think that they do have a little bit of confidence but, you know, at halftime, Satu Sabli had six points. Arike also had six points. They they made a push in the second half, but I think they have to start strong and they have to be, you know, the two-headed monster that they have been all season long to get 
to make it a series. I still think the aces are going to come out with it, but uh, especially um, having to steal at least one on the road, um, they they have the pieces to do so. I think with Kelani Brown and Tierra McGowan, like you know, I want them to utilize their size even more, and specifically on the defensive end, you gotta put up a fight, have some pride, not have Asia score thirty. She might go for forty on your head next game if you <laughs> keep letting her. Um, uh, Tierra McGowan was trying to dribble too much in the paint for me, like back to the basket moves. Ace's guards are too quick. Kelsey Plum, Jackie Young are reaching their hands in there, and it was a steal, turnover, fumble every single time. So I want back to the basket post moves. I want driving, handing it off to Kaylani and Tierra McGowan, just doing what they know how to do, um, not getting out of their game or not being sped up because the Aces definitely do that to a lot of teams, making them rush. But, um, yeah, if they are able to take a deep breath, take this first game on the chin and then be able to say like, okay, we deserve to be in the semifinals. We're here now. Just go out and hoop. Then yes, I think they can make it a series. And the blueprint is there. Like you said, they, they beat them in the regular season Yeah. and other teams that we've seen give the aces trouble. When, if, if you're talking about the Liberty, if you're talking about the full strength Connecticut sun, it's those teams that have that interior presence and those yep. teams that can win the battle on the boards and, and dictate the pace without, you know, also just getting run off the floor in the other direction. And I think that's where that balance is. And that's kind of what they're going to have to look at. But talking about making it a series, let's shift over to Connecticut, New York, <laughs> because yeah. that was a bit of a surprise, right? What were your takeaways from game one between the Sun and the Liberty? Man, my, I have a few takeaways. My first one is that the regular season doesn't matter. <laughs> um, the Connecticut Sun came in there like, oh, we're zero zero. We've never seen this team ever in our lives. Like they forgot immediately that they were swept in the regular season. Um, and Dewana Bonner, are you kidding me? <laughs> At 36 years old, put a 20 piece on them with ease. Um, she is at a whole nother level right now. And it is so refreshing to see just her veteran presence of like, I've been here before. Like, I know Connecticut, you guys have two and yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've won two championships. I know what it takes. I've been around the block a few times. Like she is very much comfortable in her element, getting shots off of handoffs, off of screens, fadeaways, like it's everything. Um, And it's so, so fun to watch. And I would also say when Rebecca Allen walked through that tunnel in all black with the leather coat down to her knees, black sunglasses on, I said, she is a sniper. She is going to work today. And that is exactly what she did. 18.7 rebounds from Rebecca Allen, which is like, okay, we know that you're capable of that, but way to show up when the lights were brightest. I think that was a little bit against her former team as well, but like so much fun to watch. Olivia Nelson Adota stepped up. Natisha Heidemann getting blocks on Brianna Stewart. Like the sun wanted that win so bad and you could just see the look on the Liberty's faces. They were like, oh, we're shook right now. I don't think we were expecting this all right away. Maybe when we got back to Connecticut, but definitely not game one. And then my other takeaway is Stewie. She finished with 19 points, but she has not been shooting well, like at all. The Mystic series, I wrote this down, 29% from the field, 11% from three, 
And then in game one, she went 28% from the field, seven for 25 and 0% from three. She was 0 for eight. I don't think Connecticut Sun is banking on that she's going to keep shooting this bad because I feel like a 45 piece is brewing. It's in the mix, but they have to feel good about their defense of just making it harder for her to go off. And, and these the shots aren't all that bad. Some of them were just pure bricks, but I don't think Stewie is going to keep shooting this bad. Sabrina didn't shoot very well either, but if Connecticut Sun can continue to get help from the others outside of AT and Dewana Bonner, then they are in really good shape. But Connecticut, always not the most consistent team. They are up and down and up and down, especially when we get to this point of the postseason. So that's my fear. I'm kind of clenching my pearls. I'm like, please don't peak in game one. You cannot peak that soon if you want to make this a series, because I know the Liberty are going to come out pissed as they should be. And this is a Liberty team that has responded every single time coming off of a loss in the regular season. I think they won the next game by an average of 15 points. Mm. So, and they didn't lose back to backs the entire year. So this is a team that when they get punched, they do punch back and they have Mm -hmm. an opportunity. And that includes, you know, that includes against some matchups with the aces. And that includes some, some really big games throughout the regular season. But you talked about Dewana and in, in post game, she said to, in response to a question with what, what changed from the first half to the second half. And she said, uh, she just said, Alyssa made me mad. She, I'm not going to tell you what she said because I, I don't want to give it away, but she made me mad. And I, I love that. I love just seeing these veteran teams find motivation wherever they can. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's a huge deal. And this was also the first time John Quill finished with 14 and 11. And this is the first time all season that the Liberty lost a game when John Quill had a double double. They had been 14 and 0. But even with her finishing with that 14 and 11, they lost the rebounding battle for the first time against the Sun. Mm. In the four regular season games, they'd won by an average of eight rebounds, 40 to 32. And then I believe it was 35 to 30 yesterday. So that that when you talk about that effort, right? A lot of those mm-hmm. 50-50 balls, a lot of that, those second chance opportunities. Do you think a lot of that was, like you said, the Liberty were kind of, they, they were a little staggered by the effort, yeah. especially in that third quarter because it was a 16-2 run or something like that coming out of the break. Do you think now that they've seen that, they're in a better position? And is it almost, I don't want to say it's, it's never good to lose a game, but to know that it's a game one and that you still have a, you still have time to make up for it, can it be? Can that be something that the Liberty can use to their advantage, having seen it so early? I think so. I, I think I'm, I'm, I was surprised that they were surprised because this is what Connecticut does. Like this is their DNA of the biggest chip on their shoulder. And we're going to hustle and play hard and play very physical. The game was very physical. And I I was surprised that that took them by surprise. So I think when they watch this film, they're going to see how just how physical they were and how they bodied them for those boards and how they just out toughed them. And that's not something that you can say, okay, in practice, we're going to work on getting beat up. Like, no, you just got to know and have that mindset to say, game two, we are not going to be beat that way. Like, okay, if we miss shots, we can live with that. But it also just seemed like Connecticut wanted it more. And that's where that, okay, we're going to jump up and grab this rebound. Elbows out. We're going to bring it down. Like, we're going to dive on the floor. I think Tiffany Hayes was a big part of that for Connecticut, even though she got in foul trouble. But it's just bringing that toughness to the team. And if you have Alyssa Thomas on your team, then you're already the toughest team. But 
I, I think the Liberty, they they know what they got to do. They know how many weapons they have, especially on the offensive end of the floor. Um, it, it's a mindset thing. Both of these teams are going for their franchise's first championship. That that desire is there on both ends of the court. So if Liberty are like, nope, we are going to be the ones that go to the finals, then they can do that. Like it really is like a light switch in their head because that second half, it seemed like the light switch was turned off of like, okay, they are just, they're just beating us. They're out hustling us. They're muscling through us. But if they flip it back on, yeah, they got it. Just one more point for me, and then I'll get out of the way so that Owen can talk again, because Liberty, unfortunately, I just jump in the way all the time. Uh, (laughs) But that first game, everyone talked about the Liberty being the best team in the WNBA in the second half after the All-Star break. But that Mm -hmm. first game out of the break, they played the Dallas Wings, who just completely liked this first game. I think a lot of the players said that this game against Connecticut was the worst of the season all season long. They had said that that game against the wings was that, and that was Mm. kind of the catalyst for their entire second half because they just got thrown around, beat up on the boards, completely out muscled in their home, on their home court, in their home building. And the team was like, no, we cannot let that happen. We're going to do this again. And maybe that there is a little bit of the, we won four, nothing in the regular season. We came back from 20 points down. So like they, they had it. They were like, no, whatever situation comes, we can come back from it. But obviously short memory span for, for the sun, Mm -hmm. but we've seen them use a loss like this as a catalyst before. And I think the hope, at least in that locker room has to be, because those are the adjustments they've made all year. Something doesn't go well. And they're like, yeah. all right, let's put focus on this and let's change it. Too many turnovers. Okay. They just say we, we're turning it over too much. And then they stopped to like, we're getting beat on the boards. They notice that and then it stops. So mm-hmm. let's see if that, uh, if that can change very, very quickly with only 48 hours between the first two games. Yeah, it has to change quick. I think that's just a positive of having the type of veterans they have on that team too. You know, when we're talking about the Dallas Wings and the adjustments they have to make, it's going to be a little more of the coach and and maybe a walkthrough and maybe watching film to be like, okay, you were out of position. But the Liberty with former MVPs, like they they know what they got to do. And I think that's a testament of what you said of they haven't lost back-to-back games. They know exactly what they need to do. Stewie's not going to shoot like that again. And I think especially on their home court come Tuesday, they want to they want to shush all the Connecticut sun hype because they're feeling real good right now. I know that they are. Um, and the Liberty want to squash that. I already know. <laughs> I cannot wait for Tuesday night. Last note on sun Liberty. You were talking about Dewan and Bonner and just watching game one. It was one of those moments that takes you out of the analyst hat or the writer hat the professional hat and just makes you a fan you're like how lucky am I to be witnessing greatness she is built for this moment I think it was the episode you guys did with Lowe uh earlier in the season where you're just talking about this remarkable start to the season and obviously there's the Alexis Morris tweet and all that stuff Uh Connecticut will find motivation wherever wherever they need to. Uh, but it, it's just been so fun watching Dewana, you know, a Hall of Famer, a future Hall of Famer, hands down, come out like this and, and perform in the moment. Is there anyone you're looking forward to for the rest of the playoffs, either series, make the most of their moment? Mm, such a good question. Um... Mm, so many. I think 
I want Alyssa Thomas to keep having the record-breaking year that she's having because unfortunately, and this is my gut telling me this, and I hope, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think she's going to win MVP, even though I feel like she should. I don't think she is. And so that's going to suck and that's going to crush her, but I want her to go on a tear for the rest of this playoffs after that announcement happens and to just prove like you guys got it wrong. Like I am such a great player. This is my year and the Connecticut sun go to the finals. And she's just like having this ethereal experience where she is above everybody. Like that's what I want. I, if I could see the future and if that's happened, then I will be so happy. Um, But I would also say like, this is such a great, time for Satu and Arike you know they're going up against the best team in the league and even though maybe they don't come out of this series I want them to take this experience and make this the new norm in Dallas like this is the first time that they made it to the second round but I want this to be like okay this is the standard of Dallas Wings basketball and Satu and Arike really being the shepherds of that Satu coming off you know most improved player which I totally agree with that and they just keep building off of this year. So I expect a, a 40, maybe not 40, because uh, she dropped 40 on the aces. Maybe, maybe a little 32. Just a big time game for, for Satu for them to just build their confidence. So yeah, I just want confidence builders. I guess that's what I want. <laughs> I, I think that this is a perfect spot for us to, to wrap up because we started with you talking about how this is Asia versus Stewie for the next five to seven years. And this is their league. And then we can end it with, wait, there are, there are a couple more teams here. There are some players that are coming that yeah. are not getting enough shine. And yes, we went chalk in the first round, but that means that we get one through four in the semifinals. Mm -hmm. And that's what we all deserve. We get to see these three, the three MVP candidates still yes. playing basketball for as long as possible. So that's mm -hmm. just awesome. Um, so Jordan, before I let you go, I just wanted to, to hear a little bit about also what you're doing with the PAC 12, because it's been so much fun to kind of follow along with. And it's just a, a fun experience to to watch you, first of all, in much better weather than we've been having in New York recently, <laughs> pop to different tailgates and kind of have those experiences. And uh, just, yeah, what's that been? What's that been like? What's that about? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's been different weather every single weekend. So I I'm just I don't know what to pack. The weather app doesn't make sense anymore. But yeah, so for Pac-12 Tailgate, I am the host. It's a show, 30 minute show that goes before the pregame shows throughout football season. And I'm going to all 12 schools every weekend, talking about the tailgate, talking to super fans, really um sharing the stories of these campuses and it has been a blast so far i've gone to oregon washington washington state and utah um and getting to know the the diehard fans is my favorite part we're like i'm handing out free tickets to the championship football game and i feel like i'm tailgate oprah that's what i keep calling myself because <laughs> they're like so happy um, so that has been a joy. I'm also participating in different sports at these schools. So I played basketball. I finally got to play basketball with Washington State, who are the reigning Pac-12 champs, the women's team. But um, I played softball. I was terrible. I did a combine football combine drills with the duck mascot at Oregon. 
Um, just doing a little bit of everything. I'm going to try to play at least one sport at every single school. So that's been fun. I'm, I'm getting in shape throughout all of these things. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, it's been a blast. I'm not super big on football. You guys know women's basketball is my thing, but, uh, I get it. I get the fandom around college football. Like it's a lot of fun. So I understand, but come basketball season, I'll be back hosting with PAC 12 for the women's side. So yeah, just getting all up in this, this conference and potentially it's last year of existence. So just going out with one last ride. So it's fun. Yeah, I was I was not going to try to end us on a downer. Um, <laughs> Sorry, talk about where it's the fun. We're, it's great. We're <laughs> <still> this, going. <laughs> is, this is the perfect final hurrah, though, where you <laughs> yes. could get to try all the tailgates and all of that. And that was one of my college regrets was that I didn't go to a big campus. I didn't get to experience that big college tailgate. But maybe, yeah, yeah you can just you could just pick one and just show up to a different one every week. <laughs> that sounds really can. Just wear me. the colors. Just wear the colors. I also <laughs> went to a very small Christian school in San Diego. We didn't have football. We didn't have big time sports. So I am completely reliving my college experience through these tailgates. And it is so fun they know how to party i'll say that it's it's a blast (laughs) that's so so awesome thank you again jordan for coming on with us and thank you like owen said at the top for just your participation and your and your involvement really in helping us kind of get this podcast started and and you're there for the beginning of our you are the origin story (laughs) and we appreciate you and and everything that you do in this space and and just thank you for pulling up with us Yay, thank you for having me anytime, you guys. I always have a blast coming on here.